0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 121, where I sit down with former Air Force officer and current psychologist, Dr. Tiffany Tajiri. Dr. Tiffany and I talk about her new resource, Peace After Combat. Now, you don't have to be a combat veteran to appreciate what she has to say about the connection between God and science. We talk about the enemy's superpower, we talk about vulnerability, coping mechanisms, miracles in combat, so many different things we cover in this conversation. So hey, do me a favor, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating review on iTunes so other people can find us, and if you really enjoy this episode, share it with a friend, it would mean the absolute world to us. If you didn't know already, we are a ministry of spirit and truth, uh, a nonprofit designed to really help people expand the kingdom of God. Revival Ministries for the local church, so excited about what God is doing through this platform, Spirit and Truth. You can find out more information on them at spiritandtruth.life. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Tiffany Tajiri. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have Dr. Tiffany with us. Dr. Tiffany, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Oh, it's such a blessing, and I love your mission, Tony. It's amazing. Thank you so much for what you do for all the listeners out there.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. You're in Fort Bliss, Texas, and you're an Air Force. Uh, well, we're an Air Force officer, and now you're an Army psychologist. What's it like to blend Army and Air Force worlds together?
1: Oh, my goodness. Now I'm saying "hooah" everywhere. Where <laughs> Air Force was fly, fight, win, and we were a little more classy and elegant. Uh, I fly by the seat of my pants a lot better, and I semper Gumby a lot better being in the Army, but Air Force was just so classy and so pristine. So if I can carry the best of both worlds, then I'm a winner. <laughs>
0: I love it. Well, uh, when I was deployed uh, 04 to 05, we would sneak, uh, the chaplains team and I, we would all sneak over to um, camp uh, that the Air Force base because they had the better dining facility. And so the Army dining facility was garbage, but the Air Force was always top notch. So I I really love. it. It's so true. (laughs) So let me ask you this. Um, You have found a ministry in ministering to combat veterans. How does someone get called into that kind of uh, sacred and, and very heavy work?
1: That's an incredible question. No one's really specifically asked that before. And so I'm digging into my brain deeply and letting Holy Spirit lead. And what I'm really feeling is that, one, the military was very important to my family. So I do have individuals who are service members and have served many, many years. My partner, my husband, he's done 26 years, retired Army Colonel. And so with all that being said, I think the exposure, and then God just led me. I went to graduate school and I I was blessed to have one of the most abundant scholarships out there from Jack Kent Cooke. And I thought, you know, I don't need anything paid for. So it really felt like mission led by the Holy Spirit to say, Hey, you know what? You need to help those that are hurting. And our combat veterans are the population that I'm going to anoint you to help heal.
0: <laughs> and what's it like to carry that burden, right? I know that that's gotta be, um, I mean, you do a great job in your, in your newest resource piece after combat of, of sharing some of their stories and, in, in a very readable way, a very digestible way. But, I would imagine on your own heart, that's got to be like, um, how is it to go home to your family hearing all the things that you heard all day?
1: Well, I would say that I put on the whole armor of God every Mm -hmm. day from Ephesians, and that helps to protect me when I am immersed in their spiritual warfare, because it's not just combat, wherein they are overseas in another country, Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria, wherever that may be, it's not just of the physical world, but it's also of the spiritual. And over the years as a clinical psychologist, as we get better in what we do, especially if we're putting God at the forefront, Mm. we learn how to put on that armor, the whole armor of God, so that yes, we do feel it and I do get tender and I cry in some of my sessions. I really allow myself to feel what they're experiencing but we also have this way of not letting our hearts continue to bleed out and and that's truly putting on the whole armor of god when we are in that spiritual warfare and when he's anointed you and i and i'm just grateful because i do feel that anointing over my life to help heal trauma you just, you're just led by Him, and it makes it so much easier. It's actually something that I really enjoy because it fills my cup when I see mm. the changes, when I see those aha moments, when I see them leaning in closer to God and having Holy Spirit lead them where you see just tears coming down their eyes because they're so humbled by the truth that sets them
0: free. Amen. I love that. So, uh, I'm curious. One of the things that we say around here is that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. And I know that putting on the full armor of God is a daily, um, it's a daily choice. It's a daily kind of relationship requirement. What are some of the things that you do on a daily basis, rhythms or practices to keep yourself rooted in your relationship with Christ so that you can live into your anointing on a daily basis?
1: First, waking up, praying, going to bed, praying with my husband every single night. We hold hands together and we thank God. We... Thank Him and keep our eyes focused on the blessings that we have and not look towards the deficiencies that we see in our life. Hmm. We always let Holy Spirit lead those deficiencies, whatever they may be, whether it's in the marriage, whether it's with work, whether it's something that we desire to acquire later down the line. And usually what we desire is to have a bigger platform to help more people. And so one, it starts with prayer. And then I go on my morning run. I do two miles. Um, It's not to burn calories, because trust me, I'm not burning calories at that speed. It's more to listen to (laughs) who my favorite pastors are, to listen to incredible podcasts like yours, Tony. And that helps set me straight, along with worship music on my way to work and back. Going to church Wednesdays and Sundays and volunteering when I get the opportunity to do so really helps me stay grounded.
0: Oh, that's Awesome. Um, so one of the first things I always tell couples when I do premarital counseling is I, uh, I tell them that they have to start praying together every night. I think it's one of the biggest secrets that most Christians don't do to keep their marriage in a healthy place. Cause it's just so hard to stay mad at somebody when you have to physically pray over them every night. Has that been your experience?
1: I completely agree and I think one of the the biggest things that help us as a couple is always being thankful and grateful for what the other does. Mm. You know, there's this concept wherein the more we applaud somebody for the good things, the less of the bad things we see and the less of the bad things that the beha- behaviors that they're inclined to do. So the more we reinforce the goodness, right? Speaking life over our family, the more life we're going to get. If we're stuck like focusing on the negativity and saying, don't do this, don't do that, then we're going to get more of that. So I'm huge at positive reinforcement and we both constantly tell each other how much we appreciate each other's efforts.
0: Oh, I love that. I think it's, uh, might be Craig Rochelle that says what gets rewarded gets repeated.
1: Yes. Uh-huh.
0: I think, yeah. So, uh, w- a lot of your work is centered around, um, PTSD And and trauma and that kind of stuff. I'm wondering if you could kind of give everyone a a base of of common language around what PTSD is, because it's a term that gets used or or has gotten used a lot in recent years. And I think maybe there's a lot of confusion around what's what's a traumatic event versus post-traumatic stress and what's a disorder just versus an event.
1: These are excellent questions. So we can go with the DSM-5 Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and they'll tell you a very specific slew of events, You know, whether your life is threatened, whether you see somebody get hurt or harmed, or you know or learn of a loved one getting hurt or harmed. There's all different kinds of definitions, especially within the DSM-5 and a certain criteria that you're supposed to meet. Um, Some of the symptoms include hypervigilance and avoidance, nightmares, insomnia, difficulty sleeping. Persistent negative thoughts, intrusive memories of the toxic experience. Now, what we should know is that if we experience something that keeps us stuck because it radically changes our view of ourselves, others, the world at large, and even our perception of God, then we should stop for a moment and say, hey, we need to dissect this more. We need to emotionally digest it and process it, and especially make spiritual sense of it. Because Mm. when we stay stuck and we continue to avoid it, the avoidance gets bigger and bigger, and the symptom presentation grows alongside it. And so, the most important thing is when something gets us stuck, I like to refer to traumatic events more as toxic experiences. Okay. Because traumatic sounds so pervasive and so enduring, and it just keeps you stuck. And oftentimes, it becomes becomes a scapegoat. Oh, it's just my PTSD. Now we all have toxic experiences that hurt us and set us ajar, cause us anxiety and to be hypervigilant. So the reality is we need to dissect those things and we need to process it. And particularly what I do is put God in the middle of it. Number one, my bottom line up front is if it's not love, It's not God because I firmly Mm. believe God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God. So that's the first belief that the enemy wants us to buy into is that it's God who did that to you. But the Mm. reality is that's not true, not whatsoever. And so what I help people do is get unstuck from those toxic, painful experiences when you are stuck. All you can do is keep those blinders on. And I call them like the pain blinders. All you can see is your own hurt, your suffering, your pain, and the negative experiences. But what we have to do is take off those blinders. Because if we keep those pain blinders on, we can't see how God is moving, how God even worked and moved and even maybe parted the Red Sea for us during that challenging time in our lives. Once we can do that, we can change the memory all the way down to the physical substrates and file it in a way that promotes life. And love.
0: Whoo! That'll preach. I like that a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, so, one of the things that that you kind of touch base on that's resonating with me right now is is this idea about toxic experiences, and and it's so interesting for your book to come out right now in the midst of the tail end of this incredible like corporate toxic experience, this global pandemic, mm-hmm. and and I was in the middle of walking uh, the second time in a day with my wife and that when we were in the lockdown mode of the pandemic and I looked at my wife and I said, honey, I I've been here before. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, um, this is exactly the same thing I went through in my deployment. And, and it's mm. this interesting connection for me, um, between being locked down in, in limited freedom, not knowing what's going to happen, not really being in control of your life, a uh, constant change in stress that you don't really get to say, or, or have, you know, have uh, any any voice into, and always being told that we're on the same team, but we're really not sure what we're fighting for <laughs> at times, right? Wow. At times, and so I'm curious how has uh, how have you seen from a, a psychological point of view the pandemic mirror what you experienced with combat veterans?
1: Wow, you just blew my mind right now. I love that parallel. I've never once thought of it in that way. So I see the pandemic. So kind of one of my concepts is that every human being is in a search for wholeness Mm -hmm. and in wholeness, we find peace and joy and connection and purpose and happiness and the list goes on. And all wholeness is grounded in perfect love. And God is the only perfect love that is out there. And so when, Negative experiences happen that are traumatic. They create tears in our wholeness. Think of the wholeness as a circle. It creates a fracture in it. And so what we're doing is we're constantly trying to to fill that bleeding out of all the things we love with something. Hmm. And so we've come to recognize how important connection is when we were in this pandemic. And we we I don't know what we're facing next, you know. And I'm praying that eventually that this dies down with— all the different variances. But with that being said, we're always trying to fill that void. And how are we feeling it? Are we feeling it with God's love and light? Or are we filling it with the ways of the enemy, the solutions of the enemy? And the solutions of the enemy are addiction. right? The solutions of the enemy are hurt people hurt people. And we continue doing negative things. It's getting fixated on our appearance. Um, it's Striving for perfection when you are already found in perfection because of Christ's love for you. And that's how God sees you because of Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we filling those voids? And I really feel that pandemic has caused that to be exacerbated in so many ways because we fill things. We are created neurobiologically wired to love and be loved. And so when we don't have these attachments, we are having to step inward and be where are my real attachments for many people? It could be a blessing in the sense, the isolation portion portion of it, in the sense that they have to look inward and attach to God. Now Mm. something that they never had the opportunity to do because they're cycling in and out of codependent relationships. And so I believe overall we're searching for wholeness. This pandemic has magnified all of these symptom presentations, and we need more Jesus in the middle of it. And in that same way, that's what happens to our service members and combat veterans when they're on deployment. They're trying to find this wholeness. They're trying to find a sense of purpose and meaning. They're trying to fill that cup of love. But traumatic events, like getting hit by an ID, is causing breaks in that circle of wholeness, and they're starting to feel emotionally and spiritually like they're bleeding out. So they start mending that circle with toxic things like i mentioned earlier
0: so i there's probably somebody's listening who you just like completely read their life and they've got some toxic traits and maybe it's i mean maybe it's a um you know a, a drinking addiction or, or pornography or you know maybe it's a little bit more culturally acceptable like an amazon addiction or you know being a workaholic um what w- What are some of the first steps that people can do to regain wholeness? And I I know that you have the the rhythm and restoration method, and I think that probably fits in a little bit here, but I'm curious if somebody is like, wow, I'm just shook, what should they do next?
1: From a spiritual perspective, it's all about getting grounded in a relationship with Jesus because that relationship is the only one that's ever going to bring complete, full satisfaction and His Mm -hmm. perfect love. Yes, we have our spouses and we have our children, but we're fallible, right? We're not perfect. We don't act perfectly. Jesus acts and operates in pure love. We act and operate, unfortunately, in a lot of circumstances, including myself, in selfish ways. And so, one, it's first recognizing it then allowing yourself to have some sense of accountability talking to somebody about it of course i would say start leaning into your worship music your scripture read your bible go to church surround yourself if you want to get out of the stuck playground that you're in then you need to change playgrounds Mm. to the jesus solution and you have to have new playmates in this new playground you can't continue to sit with the same individuals who reinforce the same maladaptive behaviors over and over again. If you're changing playgrounds, you gotta change your playmates. So there's a whole different places we can start, but I think that's one of the most important ones is emotional accountability to self and then allowing somebody to know what's going on with you so that they can help support you through the process because we're not meant to do this alone. God walks with us and he also uses others as vessels of his love and light.
0: Do you, um, h- how many people do you think that you kind of need around you to, um, to make sure you're in a healthy space? Do, do you find that that varies by individual extroverts, introverts, all different, or do you have like, Hey, three's not enough. Tens too many. You got any wisdom for us on that? <laughs>
1: For myself personally, I do believe in being introverted or extroverted. I think people oftentimes think because I'm performer or I'm goofy or I public speak that I'm an extrovert. But the reality is I like to perform and I've been a performer. I did ballet when I was a young girl all the way up until I was going through my college years. So I love to perform, but don't mistake me as an extrovert because of it. I'm really an introvert. I'm a homebody. And for me, I need one or two people continuously in my life and really just one and Jesus and I'm okay because I get my energy from turning inwards.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I I think I'm probably, uh, uh, you know, obviously start with Jesus, but then, you know, I I have my own counselor and then I have a spiritual director as well. And so then I kind of lean into both. A little bit, and then a couple of uh, nice. um, so we're Wesleyan and the, this church Methodist, and so I have a band meeting. So I get together with a couple other pastors once a week, and we confess sins as a way to try to help with that. Oh wow! And so Yeah, it's that it's is like,
1: powerful. Well, it's it like re- going
0: to the gym. Leaves like that I toxicity. Never, yeah, I never regret it when it's over, but I don't always want to go. <laughs>
1: I know the feeling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So one of the really cool parts about your ministry is that um, you have done a lot of work about connecting God and science. Um, I'm curious, there are probably a lot of Christians listening right now who have wrestled with that tension. How do you live in the tension of God and science and help uh, make it all make sense in, in view of your theology?
1: Yeah, I I rationalize it in the sense that, Tony, you and I were a series of electrical and chemical impulses. Our brains are neuroplastic. They're amazing. We have cells in our brains known as neurons, and we have mitochondria and DNA and RNA. We are science. We are science, and God created us. So God created science, and I think that we can marvel at God's many miracles through His scientific creation. And I believe firmly as a clinical psychologist, well, I can tell you for a fact from what I've seen in my life is that there are great evidence-based practices out there for therapists to use, and they're effective. But there's Mm -hmm. nothing more effective than the power of Jesus. And when you put the two together, I allow psychology and the science behind psychology to be a catalyst to help people understand the how. I've noticed that there's so many recovery programs out there that are Christian recovery programs, and I think they're great. But what they do is teach you how to be, and they say because, but they don't show you how How, how do I rewire this incredible neuroplastic brain that God has created for me? I am made in the image of God. So how do I learn how to wire that fantastic brain of mine?
0: So if somebody wants to rewire, is that getting out of the old playground? Is that how it all kind of comes together? Is that the same idea about jumping into new spaces with new people?
1: You're absolutely right. It starts with your thoughts, your emotions, and your behaviors. So I'm a huge fan of visualization. And, and I'll talk a little bit towards that when you want to talk about rhythm restoration, but it has a huge visualization component. And to suffice, I'll just get to that part of it. Visualization, the brain doesn't know the difference between a real and imagined experience for the most part. Think of the Olympic... Wait, wait, say that, we that we again. Recently, <laughs> you said like,
0: the brain doesn't know the difference between real and imagined experiences?
1: Yeah. So here's yeah, here here's the caveats. So okay. your mind and your brain are different. So your mind is like your conscious awareness. It's mm-hmm. the decision maker. It guides the real estate of the brain. So the mind knows the difference between the real and imagined experience. But the way the brain is wiring, it's like it doesn't even know the difference because it's just wiring itself. So I'm thinking about some of the famous athletes like some of the Olympians, the gymnasts, especially what they do and, and working with special operations. What we also did was have them visualize their techniques, tactics, and procedures to visualize themselves nailing that perfect 10 routine or visualize themselves going into combat, doing, clearing whatever building they need to clear strategically and how. So visualizing is key. So you're laying down a brand new neural network in your brain and the more you reinforce it, it's just like a road that you travel and the more you reinforce it, the more paved that road gets and the faster it goes. We have myelin sheath that actually covers the neurons, actually the synapses and the dendrites and the axons of the neurons that make it go faster like a superhighway. So visualization is really cool and awesome in doing that. So I actually have people visualize rescripting their traumas. I also have them visualize their future successes. And I also have them visualize their walk in life with Jesus. Like Jesus is their imaginary friend, like legit. He's right here with me and his hands right on my shoulder and say, Hey, Jesus, what's up? I know you're with me. You got my back. Military would say, I got your sticks." So visualization is profound. Let me just tell you one fun thing about visualization is Dr. Kelly Crow was doing some, I think it's Cole. I'm sorry. Dr. Kelly Cole did research on visualizing doing exercises. And you visualize doing the exercise, you actually did the exercise, and there was a cohort that did nothing at all. And the cohort that visualized had 22% gain in muscular strength. That is significant clinically. Wow. Now, the other group who actually did the exercises were 30% muscular strength. So you know what? We were just talking about going to the gym. Let's just visualize it. Come on, Tony. Let's visualize (laughs) doing those abs and get our six pack.
0: (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm here for it. That's incredible. (laughs) (gasps) <gasps> yeah, wow. the brain's amazing. So um, now you, you have um, you have a young son. Am I correct in that? You've got a, a, a young son. Do you work visualization with him as you're discipling him? Like, how, how do you work that into your parenting gig?
1: Oh, he's so stubborn sometimes. Gosh, I wish <laughs> he would visualize more. I, must, I have him visualize what dad, he wants sure. to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I haven't visualized. Uh, what do I? What do we do? We visualized Disneyland when we couldn't go because of the pandemic. Sure. we made our backyard Disneyland. You know, I love the scripture wherein Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these is because they have this incredible imagination. They are untainted by the world. Mm -hmm. They come boldly before the throne room of grace and say, God, I want this. I want that. And so I think we need to capture more of that. And my goal is for anyone who's recovering, they first need to visualize what they want their life to look like. And if you can't see what you want your life to look like, it's going to be Really challenging to manifest that. Mm. So we start right away in our rhythm restoration. It's actually, we use tapping. So it's bilateral stimulation tapping because rhythm regulates the autonomic nervous system, which means to calm us down. All right. The first thing we ever heard in our mother's womb was her heartbeat. Right? Mm. So we were developed to a rhythm. And what I love from Matthew is when it states, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, learn my unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with me, and I will teach you to live freely and lightly. And so rhythm is so important because we got to get our rhythm right with God. One. Two, bilateral stimulation, scientifically speaking, helps us to process and digest experiences. We're using the whole brain when we do bilateral stimulation. We do it subconsciously in REM sleep or we may have nightmares. But what I love to say to my soldiers is, hey, you know when you are ruck marching or you're going on a run, doing PT in the morning, you know your brain goes a million miles an hour when you're ruck marching for hours, right? And you get really creative and you have a lot of amazing thoughts. Bilateral stimulation is so important. That's bilateral stimulation. It's simply tapping right and left, right and left, right and left. It doesn't have to be tapping. It could be walking. It could be running. And that's part of one of the reasons why I love to jog in the morning. It's not really because it's helping me exercise because at the rate I'm doing it, it's not beneficial, but truly it's helping my brain process and digest. And I'm learning scripture as I'm running and I'm listening to things that I hope Holy Spirit is leading for me so that I can have a new mission. But bilateral stimulation is key. So I put all those together, all those elements combined. It really just looks like tapping. I'm doing a butterfly tap right now. I know some of the viewers can't see me, but it's alternating right and left at my own unique rhythm. And I just let my brain visualize. One of the fun things that I have my service members visualize, especially at church when I do my recovery program, I have them visualize the crown and armor that God has given them. I say, I want you to imagine that God is giving you the crown of life. It talks about the crown crown of life about five times in scripture and how important it is. And it really represents how we all carry our own cross to the degree that we carry it. And so people visualize that crown and God putting that crown on them, what his face looks like, how it feels when it's on their head. And so when they're having A terrible day, they visualize that crown being on them and saying, I am called. I am part of the family of the Most High because Jesus lives in me. And he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So we ask him to put that crown on and then to visualize your armor as well. It's very important.
0: So this is a little bit of a tangent question, but I'm really curious to hear your answer. Uh, Obviously, the Air Force uh, is not Christian in its approach And yet you are dripping with the Holy Spirit and you obviously love Jesus. Uh, How do you live in the tension? And I think there's probably a lot of people listening. How do you live in the tension of being this professional clinical psychologist and yet this on fire preacher of the gospel in your everyday work environment?
1: Um, I get rejected multiple times a week by people, not my patients, um, I let them lead sessions and, and we talk about spirituality where it's comfortable for them. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, I have people vet the patients I'm seeing and they're like, oh, they're super Christian. We want them to come with you. And then I end up inheriting them, which is awesome because I hope to God that I renew their faith in Christ. Um, but irregardless, because psychologists, and I have the right to say this, are super snooty And they're stuck up in so many ways. And they're like evidence-based this and evidence-based that. And it's all empirical and black and white, black and white, black and white. And they're constantly competing with MDs because their science is a soft science. It's not concrete and hard science like physiology and whatnot. And so um, me coming into this world and talking about neuroplasticity and neuroscience is really new. I think one of my heroes, not a psychologist, however – is Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's wonderful. She's a neuroscientist and she talks a lot and combines scripture with how the brain works. But from a psychology perspective, I haven't heard many of us. And honestly, working for the Department of Defense, I've gotten rejected on a lot of levels. And I just put the armor of God on and say, hey, I know the enemy's working against me. That means I'm going in the right direction, but we're going to have to adjust fire and we're going to have to pivot turn and go wherever Lord leads. So that door closes. God always has another one for me to open. And I'm going to come in eventually, God willing, <laughs> he's going to lead the way. And we'll infiltrate infiltrate those hearts and minds to help save the soldiers who need it so badly because the suicide rate is so high. But you know what? I am so familiar with rejection. I'm okay with it. And I usually, sometimes I just anticipate it. And I'm like, all right, then we know that door is closed. Got to go another way, and it's just being flexible. It's you know being military, semper gumby. We gotta, we got the mission out there. I'm not going to stop. It's not going to discourage me. It just uh, invigorates me when I get rejected. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I'm that's so great. weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just never hear someone so excited about rejection, but I I appreciate the posture. <laughs> I really do. One <laughs> uh, and, and to be
1: honest and to be fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: No, no. you go ahead. To be honest and to, to be, be fair. honest,
1: <laughs> To be fair, I mean, I do have this incredible blessing. I, when I work with the chaplains, it's like, oh, wow. She is the answer that we have been waiting for. Sure. When I work with the chaplains, they love it. They love the science combination. They really enjoy it. They see themselves doing rhythm restoration. I've trained so many chaplains at this point. Um, but when I come to the psychology world, it's like, oh. Uh, what are you doing? I can't believe you're doing that. And so I'm like, oh my goodness. So I fit much better with the chaplaincy and their willingness to learn psychology, which speaks a lot about the chaplains. But when you look at it from the other way and I'm coming to the psych realm, they're not so okay with talking about Christianity. One, I try to frame it for them as, hey, this is... Christian based, but you have Christian based patients. Even if you're not Christian, you're still helping people who are mm. Christian. So this might be an easy way to help them because I have a certain little algorithm that you could tell them. You could guide them to read this material. But for whatever reason, some individuals just want to be straight up rude. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: w- one of the things you talk about in the in the book is the uh, the enemy superpower, and you talk about shame. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense to go from rejection straight to shame. I, I wonder, um, h- how do we recognize what shame is in our lives? And then what are some of the steps that we can take to fight back on that?
1: Well, we're not good enough is basically where shame comes in. I'm not worthy. I'm unlovable. I must have done something that made me unlovable. Somebody was not showing me love as a child That creates and manifests my first idea of what attachment should look like and what love should look like because essentially at the beginning we learn that from our parents. And so if parents push off their children and dismiss their emotional experiences, then they feel unworthy. Hmm. I believe shame derives from a sense of unworthiness and if anybody knew, they wouldn't like me or they couldn't accept all of me because of this part being fragmented or broken. So shame is the enemy's superpower because it stops us from being vulnerable and as Dr. Brené Brown states that vulnerability is the birthplace for joy and happiness if we have the courage to go through it and biblically speaking we have to be vulnerable but we also have to guard our hearts and not cast our pearl before swine because there are people out there who will damage that raw bleeding heart when you do put it out there for them. So we have to be conscientious about who we disclose our most intimate feelings to and make sure that that person is someone who is validating and someone if you know they're a Christian brother or sister that is also led by holy spirit in the words that they give you.
0: I love that. I think I think a lot of people wrestle with shame even more than they realize. Um and and we we tend to mask shame with some of those other coping mechanisms that you talked about before. Um, after, After visualization, what are some of the important steps to the rhythm and restoration method, if you're willing to share them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what I do is a lot of visualizations, biblical visualizations, we talked about the crown and the armor. I have them visualize being Peter, being called in the Mm -hmm. storm. And what is your storm in your life? When you can see that and then you can see Jesus on the other end because our imaginations are so powerful, that is super healing. Because even when Jesus calls us, as he has called me and you, Tony, just because He's called us doesn't mean we're going to be immune to the storm of life. Amen. We essentially have the life jacket on and the victory in the end. So the life vest is going to keep us afloat, but doesn't mean we're not going to feel the wind slap us or the waves slap us or the lightning strike or the thunder get us off our course. You know, we're still going to feel it even if we're called. But with rhythm restoration, visualization is key. And I, I think it's so important for us In worship music, we can visualize exactly what they're saying in the lyrics, because oftentimes it's biblical affirmations. And we have to visualize that we are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We have to visualize scripture saying we're blessed going in, blessed going out, blessed Mm -hmm. in the city, blessed in the fields. We have to visualize that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We have to see what it is we want. And we have two different kinds of imagination. I call it kingdom imagination and carnal imagination. So kingdom imaginations, everything, Holy Spirit led. And that is the direction we want to go. It's having a platform to help people to spread more love and joy, to be vessels of love and light, salt and light, essentially. And the other one is carnal. And that's like, I want my Lamborghini. You know, so many people out there, which I'm not trying to discredit by any way, um, but it's way more powerful with Jesus. But they're focusing on the material things of this world. I want you to visualize a million dollars. I want you to think about each and every single zero. What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What does it look like? And then million dollars is going to manifest in your bank account. I think I think that is um, that's unique and that's different. And that's more along my lines of carnal imagination. And when I do things In our faith, in Christianity, I always say, use that kingdom imagination. There's nothing wrong. If you want to see yourself driving a Lamborghini, raise your hand. That's okay. You can have that in your visualization, but that's not the source of what brings you happiness. It's Mm. love and joy and helping others that brings you happiness. And God will bring all that abundance along the way as long as your mission is in His vision.
0: Mm. How, How do we test that? How do we test if our mission is within His vision?
1: Well, I have this little idea uh, called the peace compass. Mm. And so God created us in His image, right? And so we are broken down into three components as well. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are the Spirit, the soul, and the flesh. And the peace compass is always Spirit-led. And so we have to make sure that everything is aligned aligned and congruent with the Holy Spirit. And when we're in alignment, we don't have any form of anxiety. I want you to think about Jesus taking the cross, right? He said to God, he said, Father, please take this cup of suffering from me. He, nobody wants to go die, period. And he was so stressed out and so anxious that he sweat blood. Hmm. And so his flesh and his soul were like, oh no, oh no, I don't want to do this. Because rightfully so, this is terrifying. Like, who would right. want to die and know when you're gonna die? That's just horrendous. Um, and that's what makes his sacrifice so incredible and just so loving. But his spirit compass was leading and and he had anxiety because his brain was like, this is too scary. God, take my cup from me. His body was sweating blood because it was so stressful. Um, But he was courageous enough because he is perfect. He he He's courageous enough to lead, uh, let the spirit lead him, which is there's a greater end to this. There is salvation for all the people Mm -hmm. I love at the end of my life. There is more to this and there's more to overcoming that fear. So I believe firmly that if we allow our spiritual compass to lead, then we are in line with kingdom imagination and what I believe God has for our lives as our mission for serving Him.
0: And, and that probably gets easier with more practice, right? Is it is it like a muscle that we can develop a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I believe visualization is so important because we, we are spiritual creatures in human bodies and when we just see with our eyes and we don't look spiritually inward at that incredible imagination he's given us, we're missing out on so much. We have to be able to close our eyes and also see Hmm. and it takes practice.
0: (laughs) I would imagine. How, How long do you think that you've been doing this personally?
1: I personally think compared to the people I work with and the patients, the many, 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 many patients who have done rhythm restoration with me, I feel firmly that I am not such a good creative person. I don't think my imagination is nearly as profound as some of the people that I sit across from. And I'm like, Oh, that's amazing. That is so intense and so deep and so vivid. And I feel like I'm on the spectrum of like lacking imagination to be honest. Um, But I do it all the time. You know, I, I create more of an image, you know, I'm a writer. So I come up with that more in my words. I think you have to come up with your imagery somehow. Um, I Don't I always visualize? Trust me, I do. But some of the things that I hear, my husband's got an incredible, crazy imagination, such beautiful things come from it. And I know that is spirit led. So everyone's different on their level of ability to imagine. And for those who have who are more challenged, maybe like myself, or more concrete left hemisphere type thinkers, then I believe that we have to walk them through the visualizations a little more and create the verbal dialogue for their minds to go where it needs to go. But with practice, then Holy Spirit can do anything.
0: Amen. Amen. That's so good. Uh, Okay. So I know that my audience loves to pray and I always love to ask authors who are writing uh, pieces that I think are, are really important for different groups. What is the prayer request around this book, Peace After Combat, if if people are praying for you and they're praying for your mission as they listen to this podcast, or maybe they can even pause right now and just say a quick prayer, what, what would you like the prayer to be?
1: Wow, to increase this platform, because my objective, which I believe God's mission in my heart, is to help heal combat veterans. Not only them, their family, their loved ones, not only them, it goes bigger and bigger. I want to heal people who are hurting, period, and, and show them how incredible they are and how incredible God sees them and how incredible God created them and that they have the power to choose life. I put before you blessing or cursing, life or death, so choose life. I want people to know that they can neuroplastically rewire their incredible brains.
0: I love that. Uh, okay. Well, I have one last question for you, but before I ask it, um, uh, where can all of my listeners find you on the interwebs? Where's the best place to, to start to learn more about Dr. Tiffany and your ministry?
1: I'm most active on Instagram, so you can go Dr. Tiffany to Jerry. And I have a YouTube page with lots of videos, so that's pretty active. I do it first for Instagram, and then I do it second for YouTube. Don't be jealous, YouTube. It's okay. (laughs) And so with that being said, you can find me at Dr. Tiffany Tajiri at YouTube. And then I have my own personal website as DrTiffanyTajiri.com. It's D-R-T-I-F-F-A-N-Y. And to spell it phonetically for you military out there, the last portion of my last name is Tango Alpha Juliet, India Romeo India.
0: Well done. Well done. You've done that a time or two, obviously.
1: <laughs> yes, sir.
0: Okay. Last question I always love to ask people it's an advice question. If you could give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the time. And so I'd like to take you back to the day after you took the oath uh, of office as an officer in the Air Force. If you could go back and talk to that younger version of Dr. Tiffany, what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. I'm thinking I want a good answer for myself because I deserve a good answer.
0: That's good. I love it. Girl, people think.
1: Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Girl, be confident in who you are because God has made you in a unique fashion. Don't be afraid to speak up. And the most important thing I have for you is even though you're military, Don't be afraid to color outside the lines because that's what your life is going to be. A whole bunch of coloring outside the lines when it comes in the sense of military, when it comes in the sense of psychology. Know who you are and what you want and always submit to the Lord because He will direct your paths and make them straight.
0: (laughs) Amen. Amen. Dr. Tiffany, thank you so much for your ministry and your time and your generosity today. It was such an incredible blessing.
1: Oh my goodness. We're blessed to be a blessing. And Tony, thank you for being salt and light in everything that you do.
0: Man, I love her heart uh, for the service member. I love her heart for Jesus and the way that she does such a good job of bridging both arenas. I think oftentimes we think about science in one and God in the other, when the reality of God is the creator of everything, he's the creator of science. So I love her heart. Go make sure you hit her up on all the socials. Follow her. Let her know that you heard her here on the Park podcast and how much you appreciate it. Um, also, don't forget, hit that subscribe button. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. We, we're trying to get to 100 by the end of the year. and uh, And please, please, please share this episode with a friend. It's the absolute best compliment you can give us. As always, thank you so much for listening. And as a reminder, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.